Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I am extremely excited for this week's episode with the one and only Kyle Kingsbury. Kyle is a dear friend. He is a former uh, MMA fighter. He is a father. He is uh, an incredible human, and uh, and I think you're going to find tremendous value in our conversation. We go into performance, of which he knows a great deal. We go into healing. We go into uh, plant medicine and, and medicine work, and we cover the gamut. You are going to get a tremendous amount of value from this episode. This episode is brought to you by two of my favorite companies. The first is Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks is my go-to source for blue light blocking glasses. I wear their clear glasses when I'm working on the computer. I also have their yellow framed and red light uh, blocking orange frame glasses, which I wear at night to maintain my circadian rhythms and keep my sleep on point. I went deep in an episode with their founder, Andy Mance which you should check out um, on the podcast as it relates to light hygiene. I think it's, it's a topic that's not often talked about, but is so important to maintaining high caliber sleep and our circadian rhythms. You can check them out at blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com. And if you put in Peak Mind at checkout, you get 15% off your order. This episode is also brought to you by my go-to source for high-quality CBD, and that is One Farm by Wayab. They have all hand-picked, organic, super, super yummy, high-quality CBD that I use to assuage anxiety. I use their cream, their tumor cream, for reducing inflammation. I think you will love the product. If you put in, if you go to onefarm.com backslash peak and put in peak at checkout, you get 20% off your order. Uh, through the month of July, I'm also going to match that 20 because they're giving away that 20% to charity, to Charity Water. And I so love the company. I think you'll get uh, a great product and you'll be making a difference. So check them out, onefarm.com backslash peak for 20% off your order. And without further ado, it's my great pleasure to introduce the one and only Kyle Kingsbury. All right, I'm here with my man Kyle Kingsbury, one of my very good friends. Uh, we are recording in the era of uh, COVID, uh, and he is in Austin, and I'm in LA. Usually, we do these in person, but uh, Kyle, it's great to have you on the show, brother. Beautiful, brother. I'm, I'm happy to, to be able to see your face here, and I'm uh, extra happy when I get to squeeze you. <laughs> Likewise, man. Kyle gives great bear hugs, like my dad. Actually, he's uh, a very large man. Uh, and, uh, but with a huge heart, uh, which, uh, which is actually, those are the, those are, I never told you that actually, you, you have a similar energy in that regard, I think exuberant wise to my, to my father. So part, probably part of the reason I like you. Um, so for the, just for context, brother, can you break down? Cause I think you have to me a very fascinating background in terms of your kind of your professional, uh, athleticism. Um, but I'm guessing based on where we'll take this conversation likely, uh, you know, through the course of the podcast, it's, it's really fascinating grounding in terms of context. Can you share a little bit about, um, just, just kind of your background, um, as an athlete and, and, and also just personally in, in terms of like letting the audience know where you're at? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to keep this quick. Um, let's see, I started playing football at 10 years old, um, Parents fought a lot. You know, it was an outlet for me and really something I gravitated towards. Uh, ended up playing football at Arizona State. I was a walk-on. Didn't, didn't see much of the field and um, really fell into a deep depression when I got done playing football because that's, that's all I knew. It was my only outlet. And there was a lot of unprocessed childhood stuff still lingering in the wake. I didn't have any tools from breath work to plant medicine to, to really anything to quiet my mind. And... Um, it went through a really dark, dark phase. And I had, you know, all the correct pharmaceuticals from Valium and Xanax and, and Vicodin and alcohol and Coke and all the, you know, recreational things that are found at a party school like Arizona state. And thinking about that, what I know now, you know, from a health and wellness standpoint, the lack of sleep, likely, uh, a huge, huge contributor to that depression. Um, but it was, it was the perfect storm. And, uh, you know, with that, it, it came to a needle point where I took basically every pill that I had and stripped down naked at the top of parking lot seven to jump off. 
And thankfully, a security guard had seen me driving up at 3 a.m. And he talked me down. And I had, you know, I hadn't, I had been to church as a kid, but had never really felt any type of spiritual context of it. You know, I understood it on paper, but didn't understand it viscerally. And um, before the security guard talked to me, as I was standing up there, it was the first time I heard like a different voice within me, something mm-hmm. from outside of me speak to me. And it just said, not yet. Like you'll, you'll get to have that experience. You'll get to leave whatever pain you experience right now, but not today, not yet. And, um, yeah, I just started bawling. And then the guy said, Hey, you know, I don't know what you're doing up there. I don't know why you're naked, but will you come down? And I said, yeah. And then I, I woke up in a hospital, I think like 36 hours later, just because everything I'd taken, it wasn't enough to kill me, but it was enough to put me down for a long time. Um, you know, I started to get clear, started to see how a lot of these things were impacting me as I got clean. And, um, you know, again, I wasn't per se, uh, using things on a regular basis. I'd party on the weekends and, um, you know, use my medication to sleep at night after a long night and those kind of things. And, um, but they take its toll. You know, I think our buddy Max Lugavere once said, if you go out till 3am and that was, that was an early night for me, but if you go out till 3am every, every weekend, you're basically starting the first half of your week jet lagged. Like that's the health consequence. Right. And so, um, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to be an athlete still. So I started training in mixed martial arts just to have the sense of team and camaraderie and to be able to learn and something physical. You know, I felt kind of like a rat on the wheel, just lifting weights by myself and running on a treadmill. And so fighting gave me that outlet. And soon enough, you know, I had my first pro fight and I started winning pretty consistently. I won my first couple of fights in under 30 seconds. And I was like, all right, I think I'm going to try this legitimately. And uh, after my first loss, moved back home to San Jose, where I started training at American Kickboxing Academy, and you know it's one of the best gyms in the world, right in my backyard. And um, you know, fought in the UFC for six years. It was a good experience. I wasn't fantastic at that level, you know. The, a lot of the guys who were my teammates went on to become champions. You know, Cain Velasquez, Daniel Cormier, Luke Rockhold, a lot of these guys that I trained with. And, that really made me better. And, and I think in some ways I might've made them better being their punching bag. But, uh, it was, it was the thing that fighting gave me that was so important is it forced me to take care of myself, mm. you know? And really I lived this very polarized life where for eight weeks in fight camp, I would be perfect. I would meditate. I do breath work, visualization. I would eat all organic food. And then after the fight, it was, you know, all, it's like everything's out the door. You know, I'm eating Burger King, um, taking key bumps at the Vegas after party and just, uh, living it up because I thought that's, you know, the rock star life that's supposed to happen. And, um, thankfully I had a boxing coach who was uh, native American and had some Mayan ancestry and he would bring me in for traditional sweat lodges at, uh, mm-hmm. at, um, a reservation in Northern California. And after some time of working with him, I asked him, you know, when are we going to use La Medicina? And he just started cracking up and he said, I've, I've just been waiting for you to ask me, you know? And, <laughs> and, um, and so we started working with psilocybin and then eventually ayahuasca and he's since, uh, transitioned on, but you know, what he seeded in me was the knowledge and the wherewithal to work with these medicines with respect and reverence. And from there, fighting started to become less important to me. And there's a whole host of reasons that I don't need to get into here, but you know, from the lack of pay to how they, how they work the contracts to all of the mistreatment that happens in the UFC. But basically I saw that there was really not a ton of room for me to gain more here. I had extracted 80%. And if I stayed in, you know, too long to get the whole hundred percent from fighting, I may not have a brain to tell the story. Mm. And so, um, you know, transition from fighting in 2014, continue to work with the plants and, really, you know, not knowing what I wanted to do, um, as, as the plants guided me to the next track, it was just follow the thing you're passionate about. And what I'd become passionate about was anything that helped me out in life from the physical to the mental, emotional, to the spiritual. And so all of those practices, uh, of optimization are really what allowed me to, to have a new career, you know, and I went on Rogan's in 2015, he encouraged me to start a podcast uh, reluctantly I did about six months later. And, and shortly after that, about a year later, started working out on it. And even though I'm transitioned from working with them now, uh, still very close to my brother, our friend, Aubrey Marcus, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, still learning at a rapid pace. I mean, I feel 
that seed planted from fighting was the greatest gift I ever could have had because I've read more, you know, in my fight career and post fighting than I ever did in high school and college. And I've certainly retained that information because it's, it's things that I, I give a shit about the things that I care about that actually help me live a little bit better each day and, and allow me to help other people. And so that's, that's kind of the, the short end of that <laughs> origin story. I love it. Yeah. I, well, I think what, what really resonates, I think with me and probably several who are listening is, yeah, I, as, as we spoke about on your, on your show, which I'll, which I'll link to before, um, uh, or excuse me in the, in the show notes, um, you know, I love the fact that you come from what I think is exalted in our culture, right? Like as in, in, in terms of like the, the masculine as celebrated through athletics, right? Like I'm watching the last dance right now and reliving, you know, the Jordan era nineties bulls, which is what I grew up with. And, and I'm absolutely loving it. Um, and, and I definitely think there's a, there's a place for competitive athletics and I think sports are phenomenal and, and it, there's nothing negative to say about it except to say, I think some people also um, can get lost in it, both in terms of like just numbing through watching it all the time and not actually living their life. I think uh, sometimes people, it's their entire identity. I've talked to several, you know, incredibly successful professional athletes. And it's like, even if you're top, you know, by 40, you're pretty much done, you know, that it's like, how do you, if your whole identity was, was in athletics, like, what do you do next? You know, and a lot of people go through a real existential crisis uh, and you obviously, I mean, you know, fighting is such a, a, a wildly, uh, I mean, like there's no, there's no bluffing there. I mean, like you're, you're basically stepping literally and figuratively into the ring. But what I love about what you share is you used, you kind of like used it as a, as a catapult into uh, a whole different reality, which I don't think is traditional amongst many athletes. You know, I, I do think that there are some who, who talk about, sort of interpersonal work, but you to me are the most forthcoming in the, in the perspective of, you know, of course, you know, Rogan talks about it, but, but, but I think being competitive athlete, but then also using things like plant medicine, breath work, a variety of these different tools to sort of take yourself in and through a new, a new, a new reckoning, if you will, into the, onto the second mountain of life, onto your next career. And probably you're on your third or fourth mountain, but you know, in terms of uh, what is next, what what of those tools have been your greatest allies uh, as you have moved from the the sort of professional world of fighting to the Kyle Kingsbury we know today? Shit, I mean the the <laughs> the answer is all of them. Yeah. You know, something I mentioned, something I mentioned on my podcast with you recently was. Um, you know how there's two sides of the fence. You have yogis who say, you know, don't take the shortcut. Uh, shortcuts lead you nowhere. Don't use plant, plant medicines or psychedelics, that kind of thing. And not just yogis, meditators, things like that. They'll say you can get there without it. And while that may be true, uh, there's no meditation that I've come across that's like 5-MeO-DMT or mm-hmm. ayahuasca for that matter. And, and there's two reasons for that in my opinion. One is they take you to a greater d- degree of, of the visual space. Right. And there's a feeling and a knowing that you have there. Now you can accomplish those feelings and knowings. And perhaps with breath work, I've certainly gone deep and had visions on breath work alone. Um, you know, maybe that could be accomplished to some degree, maybe not the same scale. But if you, the way I've come to understand consciousness as everything being conscious, everything being alive, what the indigenous believe through animism, and you don't have to paint it as, you know, the many gods and the God of the tree or the God of this plan or the God of that. But just to understand it as whatever soul I have, whatever consciousness I have is also animating ayahuasca. It's also animating the mushroom. Um, that is what I would call a master teacher, a master plant. And in that there is a collective consciousness that is held in those medicines that is teaching you. So it's, it's like, you know, if I come to work with a mentor or if I come to work with somebody even a great book, you know, we talked a bit about uh, Ram Dass's Becoming Nobody on Audible, which is five hours of blow your fucking mind good, right? And this is a guy <laughs> who's done it all. You know, he was a part of the psychedelic revolution and went to India and transitioned away from that. Um, and that was his path, you know, but but point point is he understood it very well and he explains it in a way that is very resonant. Um, that's working with a mentor. You know, you read a great book, you, you have a coach in life that, that has a greater understanding than you do and you can learn from them. Well, the plants are no different. They are the possibly the greatest fucking mentor out there when used appropriately, right? We talked a little bit about set and setting respect and reverence 
were the two things that my first maestro Witi taught me. You know, like this is something to really be respected and held in reverence. And it's not just willy nilly, um, you know, let's let's throw this down at a house party and see what happens. And I've had those experiences, too, you know, but I think in working with those, um, they have been so illuminant, even to the practical. And one of the things that I mentioned on our show was ayahuasca taught me to meditate. It taught me to do yoga. And I kept getting those downloads in repeated ceremonies. And I was like, when am I going to get something new? And the answer very plainly was, when you start doing this, I will give you new information. You know, mm. it was the, the grandmother maybe. on the wrist. Yeah. And yeah. so and really when we talk about these things, like how do you create integration? Well, obviously there's journaling, there is mindfulness, there's all these different things, but it's also how you integrate within the body. And if we have, you know, that this may be get a little esoteric, but if we have energy blockages or things like that, even if I'm just tight physically, if my physiology is tight, and that was a, a message I had in a mushroom ceremony in Sedona, you know, lifting a lot of heavy weights. I got into powerlifting when I quit fighting as uh, chasing another dragon in terms of my physical potential. And I love powerlifting. I think it's great. There's, there's certain exercises I'll probably do till the day I die. Uh, that said, if I am chronically tight and chronically in pain, that stiffens me up. And it doesn't just stiffen my body. That stiffens me intellectually. It starts to stiffen me and, my, and harden the heart. So these heart-opening exercises that we have through breath work and intention and yoga or different mobility exercises, they really do act on all systems. And I think that understanding for me has been critical because the more often I'm in all of those spaces, the better all of them work, right? And this isn't to say that I'm dropping into the medicine frequently. You know, you, you said beautifully, uh, you know, you wouldn't climb Everest every weekend, right? No. And, uh, and it is work. And I think that's a clear differentiator for people who listen to um, Ram Dass's book, Becoming Nobody. He has a great quote. Uh, you know, he was, he was, he was tripping with, uh, Alan Watts and Alan Watts says, you know what your problem is? I'm not going to try to do his British accent because you know what your problem is, uh, Dick says your problem is you're addicted to, you're addicted to being high. You're addicted mm -hmm. to the highness of union with God, not just getting high, but, but actually getting there, whether it be through meditation or LSD or whatever they were using. Yeah. And if you do that, you're starting to forget your humanity. And mm -hmm. as Ramdas beautifully illustrates, this integration is about not saying one is better than the other. You cannot fully dissolve the ego. It's fucking impossible. And uh, there's a great book I'm reading right now. Sorry, this is getting long-winded. Great book I'm That's reading right, right now. You know, another great mentor of mine is this guy, Amit Gaswani, who's a PhD and a physicist. He wrote The Physics of God, and it's absolutely brilliant. And uh, in his latest book, Quantum Spirituality, he really, he really dives into um, the fact that you have to embrace all parts of the self. And if you really rose to enlightenment, like some masters say they can, a full dissolving of ego, full unity with whatever the grand creator is, source, you wouldn't know where to take a piss. You wouldn't know to stop <laughs> on a red light, right? You just that, – that's all ego programming. Like there are aspects of that that we have to keep. So how do we integrate that and learn – Who's, who's driving the car right now? Is the ego driving consciousness? Should it be driving consciousness? Is the soul driving consciousness? Is the high self driving consciousness? And I think as we become more aware of how our internal systems are working through the practices of stillness and listening, then we can really figure out what's going on inside, what's making me tick right now. And that those ultimately are tools to know thyself. And I think that's, that's really what I've gravitated to more than anything else in life right now. Yeah, I love that, man. I mean, you and I have obviously talked pretty extensively about this, but in terms of, um, I think sharing it with my audience, I'm I'm grateful because I actually haven't even gone there as frequently. Like for you, I feel like, for example, your journey with the plants and uh, with the master plants and 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 a lot of that has become almost a dominant aspect of your conversation. And while it's been a, I would say, a very profound part of my life, it's not something I've yet spoken about uh, quite as significantly. And, and I was, and I, and I had a suspicion it would go there with us and I'm glad that it did. But I think what you, what you're saying makes so much sense, right? Because in essence, like you have a, you have an identity and this is similar to Ram Dass, right? Like Ram Dass was like, 
you know, Richard Alp, you know, he was, he was Harvard guy, you know, flying the airplane. He was like, kind of like James Bond. He had all the societal like accolades. Like he was definitely winning the game, quote unquote, you know, in terms of what society deems as like worthy. And then of course, story goes for those who don't know, you know, he goes to India, finds a guru kind of drop. Well, prior to that, he goes deep into LSD and a variety of different uh, mind altering um, uh, substances, which open his, open his worldview. But it was interesting because uh, the story where he goes to his guru and he hands his guru uh, the, uh, I think it was like a sheet of LSD and the guru's like, boop, and like takes it and like, yet is not shifted at all was what enrolled him into the possibility that actually there's truth beyond even the substance, right? Like there's, there's a level at which you can be in that experience not addicted to it, it just sort of becomes your default, right? Theoretically, the, the context of the enlightened master. Um, and what's interesting is, and I don't know that I've, uh, I, I've, I've had the great experience of being in the presence of some truly profound um, masters. But I think one of the great things is I feel like the plants, the master plants, as we call them, are, uh, you know, with, without ego, uh, such profound guides when, as we said, and I, oh, I'll just kind of reiterate it because we, we spoke about this on your podcast, but when the set and setting is right, when you have the, 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 the maestro who has made the requisite sacrifices, the requisite commitments to the divine has gone through, you know, like I mentioned, Banky, who I've had on this uh, podcast, but, you know, he's, he literally has been working with plants for 40 years and goes off and does dieta for six months to a year just to clear his vessel enough to be able to serve said medicine. But when working with those kinds of um, teachers, the ability to be guided uh, beyond the egoic constru uh, constructs and constraints is so profound. And I think what you, not to you know, kind of put you on a pedestal in any regard, but I think that the, the fact that you've gone and re-identified yourself from you know, uh, from, from this particular role, which I think is societally deemed like is very, you know, like in that, especially in the alpha male context of, of, you know, UFC, you know, winning fighter to, 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 to sort of like in a similar Richard Alpert way, it's like, okay, hang on. There's like a new identification here. Like that's not, I'm no longer climbing that particular mountain. I'm actually going to get off that mountain, which actually comes with a pretty, a uh, significant amount of risk, right? Because society, if you're doing something that society deems is valuable, there's an identification with it that you get fed by, you know? And and granted, you've now surrounded yourself with, and many of our friends uh, embrace a different notion of success, and 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 you are successful still in, in the traditional context. But I imagine there was a riskiness um, in, in going into this, this kind of new brave new world as guided by the masters in the form of plants. What have been some of the, if you will, because I know we're in this interesting time as we, as we record this podcast, um, which is that all of us have been in quarantine for the large, you know, better part of, uh, a couple of months and you, uh, have, are in a different place for me and that you have a beautiful family. Uh, and I absolutely love your family. Um, but you've had to adopt again in the context of not just your professional identity, but uh, but but also in terms of what all of us are contending with right now, which is which is on a very uncertain collective context on how we most successfully survive and thrive uh, amidst this, you know, pandemic, quote unquote. So how are you approaching both individually and as a family navigating these uncertain waters? Right. Well, there's, I mean, that's, that's a great question. Um, something that we talked a bit about beforehand was, you know, when quarantine hit, I was on a, a, my first camping trip with my son, Bear, who's about to turn five. And it was, it was really beautiful, just a beautiful experience about an hour outside of Austin. And on the last day, they ended up kicking us out. You know, this is right when it was starting and it was like, Hey, this is serious. You guys have to go home. And uh, they refunded the last day for the reservation. And it was just it was just odd because we were completely off grid when it went down. And then it was like, oh, OK, this is something to pay attention to. And um, really, at that point, to shift from being in nature constantly to now being locked in our house and uncertain of what's to come and, you know, listening, you know, as I mentioned to you before, listening to David Icke on London Real, which I think had seven or eight million people listening 
also seeding a lot of fear around New World Order and government control and, uh, you know, Orwellian predictions of what our future looks like. Um, that was a lot to hold. And it was also a lot to hold because there was no space for anyone, you know, and I know a lot of families are going through that. Um, in the book, Conscious Loving, they talk about all great relationships that are not codependent, require space and closeness, you know, mm-hmm. spaciousness and proximity. And that works in any relationship, the relationship you have with your kids, you know. So if you're used to, as a man, being the provider who leaves for eight hours a day and somehow fits into his schedule, you know, a workout or, you know, some meditation or something for themselves, and now that's been robbed from you and taken away due to the current situation, it's really hard to get clear. And we only get clear when we're still. But, you know, like I said, Bear's about to turn five. There's no stillness, you know, and it's something we work on him with on – having relaxing downtime, you know, there's, I, I nap with them or meditate with them every day in the middle of the day, unless I'm podcasting, it's a way for me to have a break and a way for him to, to crash and, and, and push pause. But really it's about how do I create space for myself? How do I create space for each individual? How do I create, um, those dynamics where there is one-on-one time for me and bear, there's one-on-one time for my wife and bear. And then how do we work that whole family dynamic where we're all together and we can all enjoy each other's company and at the same time, not have it feel like Groundhog Day. Mm. So we've been working quite a bit. You know, I know they're doing a lot of online learning and things like that. Again, he's in kindergarten, so that shit's out the window. And it's really been about, you know, what are the things that we would like to do as a family? Obviously, being in nature is very important. Yeah. Um, you know, as we talked about, there are some differences between Texas and California, the way it's been handled. And Thankfully, our parks are still open. So we taught Bear how to ride a bike in three days. And because we had the time, it was just like, yeah, man, you don't need to have training wheels. You're old enough. And he picked it up. And we've been riding, you know, 10 miles. We, we bring our water. We jump in the lake. I mean, it's it's been phenomenal. We're out in nature. There's a ton of people outside throwing the football and playing cornhole and just being in nature, getting sunlight, you know, improving their immune function. And also you know, well past the physiology of immunity and all those things. Um, we gain so much from being yeah. outdoors. We gain so much from sitting by a tree. We gain so much from taking our shoes off and putting it on the earth or jumping in a natural body of water. And I think to have that access has truly been a blessing. And I know that's, there's a lot of people right now that are like, well, that fucking must be nice. It hasn't been that way for me. And yeah. I, you know, I, I have compassion for that. No, no doubt. You know, these things that have been robbed, are in a way waking us up to what's really important in life. And, um, totally. you know, aside from that, like really setting up routine, you know, something I've talked a bit about before with the people that I coach is we know kids need routine yeah. without routine, without a schedule, they feel lost in the world. And we know the elderly need routine. If, if somebody goes into hospice care, the first thing they do is give them a schedule of when they're going to eat, when they have to be somewhere and all those things create some sense of order in their life that drops the chaos. And then within those boundaries, they start to play and move around and explore. Same thing for kids. But guess what? Nobody associates that with the middle part of your life, the bulk of your life. And it's completely true. That doesn't go out the window just because you're in your 30s or your 40s. It's ever present. And the more routine that we can schedule while still allowing for spontaneity and, um, you know, some, some, you know, flexibility in the schedule that, that really does give people, uh, kind of a cushion to play with like, Oh, okay. There is some sense of order right now amidst the chaos. And so we just developed a morning routine where we would get up early. If I get up too early because Tasha is in the third trimester, I take bear for a little car ride and we go look at the animals. Cause there's ranches out here with zebras and, and, you know, bison and, and all sorts of cool things to, to really just look at and we talk, we have great conversations and sometimes we'll throw on the frozen two soundtrack and sing together. Um, but it's a way we let mom sleep in and it's a way for us to connect, get home, we eat breakfast, then we walk the dog. So we get some fresh light and some fresh air. And then we all do morning yoga. And if bear wants to participate, awesome. If he doesn't, we set up arts and crafts on the table and he gets to watch us doing yoga. Another key ingredient is to whatever you want your kids to participate in, even if they're not down yet to show them, to have them see their parents doing it, that mm. seeds their consciousness early. That's a part of the positive programming you want to layer in. So if you work out in front of your kids, even if they're not working out, they know mommy and daddy are fit and they start to identify themselves as that. 
it's not strange to them later when they get introduced to the weights or they get introduced to running or they get introduced to yoga. It's something they grew up with, right? Even if they're not doing it. So we start our days like that. And then, um, we usually have wrestle time and play outside. And, you know, as I mentioned, we, we planted a bunch of trees pre-quarantine in the backyard and kind of made it our own little sanctuary. And it's, it's a small backyard in a new community. So really tight house stack on houses, but, um, it's a way for us to get outside and get the fresh sun and hose off. And we got an ice bath. So it's a hundred degrees outside. We get in the 35 degree water and barrel dunk all the way in and go run some sprints in the backyard. And, and we just play games like that. And then it's time for lunch. We nap. I meditate or nap depending on where I'm at. And then the second half of the day is kind of, what do we want to do now? We can go to Silker park and play games. We can go for a long bike ride. And so that provides flexibility as well. But by starting the day each way that way, it really gives us kind of this, this grounding support of structure. And from there, you know, we can, we can go on and do whatever we need to do. And, um, the last thing I'll mention about that, that really has been a blessing is, you know, really thinking about what seeds am I planting now that will outlast quarantine. And thankfully, you know, I I have the opportunity where I work for myself, uh, the morning yoga routine is going to stick, you know, And, and, um, one of the, you know, a lot of people who do yoga and you mentioned you, you like going to the classes cause you like hot yoga. My wife's teacher, Jen Prue, who is the owner of breathe Los Gatos up in Northern California. Mm. She has a website called yoga anytime and I have no affiliation with her, but her mentor was Ram Dass and she's been to India with him. And so her commentary during the classes is as good as any spiritual book I've read. I mean, again, you talk about plants, you talk about mentors, she's a mentor And what she's talking about has not only improved the why behind my yoga, it's improved the why behind my meditation. It's Mm -hmm. it's improved how I breathe, not just the breathing mechanics physically, but why do I have a gap at the top of my breath and at the bottom of my exhale? Like all of that stuff starts to create greater awareness and intentionality around my mindful practices. And um, that I, I cannot recommend enough. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. And if you want to do it for free, they have a yoga account online, uh, yoga anytime on YouTube. But again, she's, she's just pure medicine. And, um, and I've been doing yoga for years, but this has been something that has really you know, put us on a different level and, and uh, something that we'll continue to do long past quarantine. I love that you talk about routine because I think that structure is so, is so valuable and finding that space, that context of like, like the inhale, the inhale and the exhale. And, and I think in good relating, you do need that space. So it's actually super helpful to, I think, hear how you approach routine. In the context of mentors, you had mentioned, um, you know, you'd mentioned this concept of mentors, which I actually really love. And you had mentioned a few books. Who, who are you fascinated by at the moment? And or who do you consider um, your mentors as we speak uh, today? Like what, what are you, what are you diving into that, that you think could really be a value to people listening? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta wrap my head around this. I mean, the first guy that comes to mind, the first guy that comes to mind is Paul check, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, um, this was the guy who really planted the seed for me. He had this old video on VHS called flatten your abs forever. And I was like, awesome. I'm trying to lose weight. I just finished football. I'm fighting now. I want, I want a six pack. And the video has nothing to do with has nothing to do with getting shredded. It has everything to do with the microbiome uh, or eating organic food, and you know a lot of that. And then it led me to his book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, which is to this day a brilliant book. I've read it, you know, twelve or thirteen times. Um, and that planted the seed, like, oh, if I start to change some of these things, not only do I feel better, not only does my old injuries, my pain go away, my inflammation go down, but I think more clearly. I retain more information. I sleep better at night. All of this stuff matters. And uh, this concept he has of the, the last four doctors you'll ever need. Doctor movement is your movement practice from yoga to running to working out. Doctor diet, what do you put in your body from the water you drink to the food that you eat? Doctor quiet, what is your meditation practice? What is your stillness practice? How do you sleep at night? And then doctor happiness, what is your vocation? Like what is the thing that brings you joy in service of all? Not just, you know, what fucking pays the bills, but what is the thing that's driving you to make a difference in the world and to, to, to really, to, to make meaning out of life. Right. And I think, uh, you know, when you start to look through the lens of those four doctors, it really does illuminate so much around 
how we optimize our existence. And so he's, he's number one, he's the first guy. And I've, I've had the, the privilege of, you know, participating in some of these entheogenic uh, ceremonies with Paul and, uh, you know, he's just a fantastic human being from top to bottom. His podcast, Living 4D, is incredible. He's been on my show a number of times, more than any other guest. Um, just a wealth of knowledge. Ted Decker, a guy that uh, that Aubrey introduced me to, who, I mean, without, without a doubt, is one of the most dialed in spiritual teachers I've ever met. You know, he wrote The 49th Mystic and Rise of the Mystics. They are fictional novels on the true teachings of Christ. Then doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. I mean, like this will blow you away. And um, just, just, I mean, it mirrors a lot of the downloads that I've received in the medicine space that God is love and that there is no separation. There is no, you know, white bearded dude up in the sky with a, with a mallet that's going to <laughs> waiting to judge you based on how well you did in the blink of an eye that we exist in this human form. Um, you know, the, the, as, as Charles, Charles Eisenstein too, man, he's, he's been uh, a mentor and somebody I've really gravitated towards. I read his book, Sacred Economics and loved the concepts as he started to get into the nitty gritty of finance. Um, to be perfectly honest, I just kind of got lost, but his book, the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible is, is just flawless in every way. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's not just a pointing out of what is broken and what needs fixing it's a remembrance of why we're here. It's a remembrance of there is no separation. We are interdependent upon one another and interdependent upon our environment, which is this super conscious living organism, the earth. Right. I think, uh, he's just a very, very wise person who's able to break things down in a way that's very complementary to the work that you might do on yourself from yoga to meditation to plant medicines and, and, um, you know, I, I, I love that guy, you know, point blank. I love that guy. But yeah, yeah, I think between those three, and then of course, you know, we mentioned, we mentioned Ram Dass becoming nobody that is hands down one of the best pieces of, of, of audio I've ever listened to. And I think finally, um, and this is a great one, you know, I know I've talked about a lot of books here, but there's a book called the lion trackers guide to life by Boyd hmm. Vardy. And Boyd is an, a, he's an animal tracker from South Africa. And uh, Londa Luzi is one of the biggest uh, animal preserves on the planet right now. And they're doing, you know, they, they've completely restored the land uh, regeneratively. Um, they do tracking and, and they're basically the trackers that go out and, and let the safari guides know like, hey, we have lions at this location or, or there's elephants at this location. And so people who go on safari can go check them out. But his book you know, really illuminates so much. And it's probably the most amount of wisdom I've ever read in that short of a book. It's only three hours on audible. It's incredibly short. And he just drops gem after gem after gem throughout it, you know, and really helps you helps us navigate, you know, how do we find our track? How do we track, you know, the animals? And, you know, one of the parallels he learned is in tracking the animals, he was really learning how to track himself his awareness where he's at. And through that in tracking, you're going to lose the track. So how do you find the next track? Well, part of that is that intuition that guides you to it, but it's also not stopping. It's continuing on a path that doesn't exist until the next track is illuminated. And I think there's, there's a lot of wisdom in that because, you know, at every stage of life, no matter which mountain we're on, whether it be fighting or football or, you know, losing your job in, in the time of quarantine, to step into the unknown bravely, to know that, okay, these times are uncertain. What do I do now? Right. To find that inner light, that inner voice, whatever that is, the high self, the source from within, and to let that be the guiding post that allows you to continue taking steps forward. That's where we start to find the path. Love that. Totally agree. Uh, and it, it is interesting because I think we're collectively being asked to find new paths right now, right? There's like the, the, the guy in mind is, is, is shaking up, is shaking the tree and, uh, and we're all kind of being, you know, amidst this shake kind of looking, looking at like, okay, what's the next track? What's the new track? And I, I think a lot, a lot of folks are struggling with that, you know, the sense of purpose, the sense of, you know, livelihoods obviously been shaken up for a lot of people, which is where most, many people find their purpose. A lot of men find their purpose, obviously, in what they do, their ability to be a provider. And, um, and so I think 
it's an it's it's going to be an interesting time. But I think a lot of the tools that you've mentioned uh, are super helpful. And actually, some of those books I haven't read, so I, I actually really want to check out the the tracking book in particular because that's actually where I took my dad uh, when he got diagnosed with dementia some years ago. Was to South Africa, and um, that country is one of my favorite places on the planet. And 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 I will say, being uh, amidst um, that wildlife and being in nature, as you talk, as you discussed, you know, like nature is sacred to me. It's church to be in that that level of untapped nature uh, is and un, unadulterated is so profound. I, one of the questions that came up for me, and it's a question I haven't asked for a while, but it's one of my favorite questions. And I actually think you'd be a great person to ask this. Um, someone asked me this question about seven years ago. And for many, many years, the answer actually remained the same. And it's just recently shifted for me. But the question is, if there were one thing that you could add to your life and one thing that you would take away that together would have the most profound transformational impact, what would, what would those, what would those two things be? One thing you add and one thing you take away. So while you think about it, just to give context for me at the time, it was if I quit drinking again, not that I was an alcoholic, but just realizing that like I was in New York and a lot of social life revolved around alcohol and Ad was a, a deep, personal, loving, committed relationship, which is still something I'm look to, looking to attract. I've given up on the alcohol for the time being. But uh, what, what's that, what, what does that evoke for you? Like if there were one thing right now, Kyle Kingsbury, amidst the shakeup, is looking at, you know what, let me let this go. And one thing you'd like to take in, what, what, what would those be? Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing that's, that's alive in me right now, the thing that I would take away is – the reliance that I have upon caffeine. Mm. And I think caffeine has been a super valuable tool for me to learn and to be able to communicate well and to have, um, you know, the, the, the language that I want to use in the moment. Right. And, and, and it's especially important as a podcast host and somebody that goes on other shows, um, you know, the recall ability and it's, it's not a nootropic per se. It's a stimulant, but it works as good as and in tandem with other nootropics. And you see me with the with the organic tobacco here, a phenomenal nootropic, probably the best on the planet. Fits right into acetylcholine receptors. It's incredible. But one thing that I found with caffeine is that the more I practice stillness, it either takes me like the first ten to fifteen minutes to quiet the noise of caffeine if it's in the first half of the day, or um, you know, and or I, I overshoot what is actually needed. So I may have more coffee than needed. And all of a sudden, it's really hard to quiet down. It's mm. really hard to find stillness. And, you know, again, if I'm in a constant state of doing if I was working a traditional eight hours a day, there'd be enough for me to do on that level of caffeine to to really just pay attention, stay focused and get it all done. But like I said, I don't want to miss out on Dr. Quiet. Out of those four doctors, Dr. Quiet is ever-present with me right now. I think it's ever-present with everyone right now. Whether they're paying attention to it or not, that's one of the things Gaia is asking us to do is to pay attention to the listening aspects of the quiet, the yin, feminine practices, the softening required to get still, to to listen more to what's going on inside and to really pay attention um, to what's making us tick. And so if I was going to ditch one thing – I would, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I've worked my way to decaf. I've come off completely for ayahuasca ceremonies, and I'll tell you, you know, in the month leading up and the month after, without it, I just feel better. My meditation is better. Everything is better. I'm also not doing a whole lot. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving space to the medicine to process. I'm not in, you know, I don't go to the Amazon and come back and I'm like, all right, right back to work we go. You know, like I'm giving <laughs> space. Um, so I'd like to find a balance with that where, you know, I'm, I'm able to utilize it as a tool as needed, either a, a shot of espresso like Paul check does, or a cup of decaf where I can mix in some of my, um, medicinal, not psychedelic mushrooms, you know, lion's mane, chaga, rishi, things like that from, from some of these great companies that are doing it organic. Um, you know, that way I have this, this, 
uh, symphony of boosters from nature's medicine, but at the same time, it's not taking me to a place where it's hard to get still. Mm. So that'd be the thing I remove. And that's something that I have been talking about for a year and not committing to. <laughs> so maybe this is the, the spoken, the, the first way to bring it from the astral is to speak it into existence. So, um, Hopefully I can make that happen. I do have some nerves around a newborn popping up uh, in the next two months and me like really being dependent upon it. So maybe the switch to decaf right now is the best move. Um, and then what I would add, you know, one final book, which maybe it's pro- it probably would resonate with your listeners. I don't want to – sometimes I do a bad job of guessing who's listening. Uh, have you heard of the book called The Sophia Code by Kaya Ra? No. Okay. So it's it's a – you know, and this again, this is stretching the envelope of what's possible to most people, but it's a channeled text, meaning, you know, she it's not her words, it was spoken through her, and spoken through the divine feminine aspect of God, you know, like the all creator. And at the base of Mount Shasta, this transmission came through her while she was intending to write a book, and she just had the being, God itself, write the book for her. And it's basically every ascended master who spent time on earth that either ushered in a golden age of 500 years of peace or more and did it through the divine feminine. And again, um, it's funny. You talk about these warrior archetypes and you know, the, the, the masculine exuberance that happens in fighting and then to switch this way is, is definitely rattling for some people. But <laughs> I really, I really have felt called to that. You know, how do we bring in balance? Well, I wasn't the best fighter of all time, but I certainly mastered that part of myself, you know, the outward expression of uh the physical and um you know a lot of that warrior archetype and so for me bringing that balance back in it is the softening it is bringing in the divine feminine and what's great is each one of these seven key codes there is a different aspect of the divine feminine that are spoken in and you do this at an altar that's why i was fascinated on my show about your uh candlelight at the altar, the candlelight prayer, the candlelight intentions, because there, she basically says like you create ceremony at your altar when you listen or read this book mm. and you either speak it out loud or you listen on audible and you, you let that sink in to every part of your body and your physical structure. And what's wild is, you know, maybe it's placebo. I don't know, but I've had visions, you know, right before bed or first thing in the morning before I get out of bed without substance. And this is the first time in my life that's happened on very pertinent things. I'll ask a question and just see the answer like, holy shit, that's what's going on right now. And so the the amount of clarity I've been given has been really, really uh, incredible. But one of the Ascended Masters is Kuan Yin. And Kuan Yin has been talked about in in many cultures. Um, She parallels to the softness of water and, uh, you know, lived in China. And there's a whole story. I don't want to give it away. But one of the things that she embodied was this idea of Karuna compassion, the ultimate compassion and the ultimate compassion, as I've read from other masters like Paul Selig and different people, you know, just as they say, you know, you can only love someone else as much as you love yourself. You can only have as much compassion for someone else as you do for yourself. And oftentimes we're our hardest critics. Yeah. We're the strongest judge in the world. You know, and if you've ever met, if you ever met a pessimistic you know, uh, an asshole for a lack of a better word, you know, somebody who's hard to be around and, uh, you know, really negative, guess what? No one's harder on them than themselves. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, these mirrors that we come across illuminate, um, those aspects of, of how we live, how our inner voice is. And I think that would be the thing that I call in more than anything is a deep, deep knowing of compassion for myself and the ability to then take that outward to the ones that I love. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm really gravitating towards that and working with it, and especially with a little girl on the way. You know, I've been drawn to a lot of this because of her presence in the medicine and without. Um, just knowing there, there's, it's going to be a completely different child with a completely different, and that's true of anybody who has more than one kid, but really leaning in towards that and understanding that, as I soften, that builds strength. As I'm more nurturing, that builds strength. As I can love myself more, that allows me to love others more. And as I can have compassion for myself, that too allows me to have compassion, uh, not only for the ones that I love, for, for people that I may not even know, for the guy who cuts me off in traffic, for the boss who fires me, you know, for to just see things with a greater lens 
per se and have a deeper level of awareness and understanding. And I think that's, that's what I want to call in right now. Mm. Beautifully said, man. Very beautifully said. And you know, you're, you know, for example, that Tosh is having a girl, like you're, you're, you're clear on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's funny because, you know, we, we had, we, we had a shared vision in ayahuasca years ago uh, when we were just, we were living together, but no talk of marriage, no talk of, we knew we wanted kids, but again, that was all down the road. And uh, we had this vision of me holding a child and her holding the two of us. And she says this in closing circle, we were like, you know, if everybody's allowed to share yeah. a significant piece of their ceremony. And so she says this and I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry. I've never cut anyone off before, but I had the exact same vision. And that's one of these cool things, you know, with, with ayahuasca in particular, but other plant medicines is the shared vision. Yeah. So that was our first shared vision. And about a month later, uh, we were in the same circle and we had the same vision, but now it was a boy. And I was really like freaked out, like, holy shit, you're showing me this again. And it's a boy. We're going to have a boy like when, and just freaked out. Like I don't have medical care. I'm, <laughs> I'm a, made nothing. I made fucking <laughs> dog shit fighting in the UFC. I live in my mom's detached garage, all of this stuff. And all that fear, I, as it swelled up, I realized these aren't my fears. This is mm. the societal shit. This is, oh, you got to have all your ducks in a row and every box checked before you're fit to be a parent. And the truth is there's never a perfect time to have kids, mm. you know? And so as that swept away from me was the deep understanding we are going to have a kid. And a month later, we were pregnant with Bear. And long before the genetic test, we knew we were having a boy. And, of course, we had a boy. Wow. And fast forward a couple years later, uh, in 2016 – uh, you know, I had my first vision of, of this girl coming along as the next child. I asked in, in ceremony, who will be our next child and what is her name? And she spoke to me and just, I mean, I was waterworks, just floodgates yeah. opened up and she said, I'm going to be your daughter and my name will be Wolf. And I was wow. like, wow. And that's to me, you know, <laughs> my, my parents, I mean, a lot of people are like, why the names, uh, my parents really struggled with bear as a name for a boy, but wolf for a girl. <laughs> I mean, they're like, wow. Wondering if she's gonna get picked out. I'm like, her brother is gonna be able to, to to help her out in life. I'm not too worried about her getting picked on, but she's she's gonna be a powerful woman. Yeah. You know, just a beautiful, beautiful, powerful woman. And I'm not worried about her getting picked on for having a unique name like that. But um she really has come through uh in many ways softening us already preparing us for for what to be expected and i mean shit one of the downloads i had again outside of medicine was just um a lot of us have been waking up in the middle of the night mm. and having trouble falling back asleep and i was like why is this happening you know like we i took the emf detector around the house there's no emfs where we sleep like we're we're good you know like i'm, I'm trying to think of anything that could cause sleep disruption and then it just hit me she's preparing us for the lack of sleep so why prepare us now? Why not let us sleep until we, till we actually have her and then we deal with no sleep? And the answer very clearly was she wants us to find peace in the lack of sleep. Mm. Can we find harmony and equanimity without sleep? And can we do it now in preparation for her? And that to me was as deep of a knowing of an understanding of any download I've ever had, medicine or not, you know, and, and such an important piece. You know, we really were just fucking frazzled. You know, anytime people have a first kid, you're just like, holy shit, there's no preparation for this. There's doesn't matter what people tell you, you know, like there's no way to prepare for it. And I think in a way she has already started to prepare us for her arrival. And, and there's a lot of beauty in that. Wow. What's coming up for me right now is, is the transformational journey of kind of, of entering into things you don't really know what's going to be like on the other side. Um, not to equate by any means parenting with sort of deep work with master plants, but sometimes you walk in and you're divinely guided and you don't come out the same, uh, if you will. And I feel like parenting is probably the ultimate act of that because it's a real, you know, it's forevermore the, 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 the changing of, of an identity. Um, what's often, I think, not talked about to bring it back a little bit to the work with the, the great masters um, is the, you know, we've, we, we talked about on your show, which I'll link to, I highly recommend the notion of set and setting and how important that is. And the medicine being more than the physical property of the plant itself. 
But what's often not talked about, I think, is this notion, the notion of integration. You know, I think, like you said, like a lot of times people are chasing the ecstasies, you know, that the ecstasy of the exalted moments, but not necessarily doing the hard mundane work of applying what they've learned, where they've been guided in the context uh, of the ceremony. For example, you mentioned earlier, you know, you've been taught, you were shown to meditate and to do yoga and you were like, well, yeah, but what else? And they were like, no, that's where I'm going to keep showing you that until you actually apply that. It's not just the intellectual information or the download. It's the actual uh, embodiment of, of said, uh, of, of said download. So for you, how do you approach? Cause I know, I know that the work has been so pivotal and, and, and I think clearly not, not to uh, exalt, but just to say, I think, in, in you can tell in the way that someone's being whether or not something has had an effect on them. And I haven't known you. I didn't know you, for example, in your college days. I didn't know you when you were in the you know kind of peak of your fighting career. But even in the time that I've known you, there's an embodiment of some of those divine feminine aspects in a very, you know, obviously evolved uh, sort of alpha masculine package. Uh, and so to me, obviously, you've done work on integration. For those listening, how do you approach integration or what have been the gifts for you as you approach embodiment of some of the wisdom that you, whether it be from a mentor or, a, or one of the master plans, how do you look at actually applying those principles in your life? Yeah, I think, I think there's, there's a couple of ways. I mean, there's, there's many practices, so I'm going to try to, to narrow them down. Number one, stillness. You know, how mm-hmm. do I create space, not just around ceremonies, obviously, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say obviously. There were times where I had access to ayahuasca with, you know, in my initial ceremonies where it was an hour and a half drive when I was out in California. And I'm working at a strip club as a bouncer and bartender. I'd go drop in on Saturday night and Sunday I'd go back to work. There's no space there. And it's the ultimate <laughs> environment I should not be in, right? Definitely the ultimate not. environment. So obviously, you know, if you're going to make a trip to the Amazon or to Costa Rica and you're carving out space, not only to be there, but there's, you know, it's a trek to get there and there's space in between the medicine and then there's space when you leave. That's really important. But creating space on your day to day, you know, so how do you do that, especially on quarantine? Well, one of the ways I, I go for a walk solo. I mean, I go for family walks and family bike rides and I do all that, but you got to have solo time and not just solo time where you're filling it with noise where, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I I never put the radio on. We don't own a TV. If we watch something, it's on, you know, Netflix or guy or something like that. It's online on our iMac. But, um, you know, even in the car, there's times where I'll listen. A lot of times I'm listening to podcasts and filling my brain with something. A lot of times where I just, there's nothing on, like I just need the quiet time and walking is an incredible way to process. It's an incredible time for reflection especially if I'm not listening to anything with words. You know, if I'm just listening to the sounds of nature, even the sound of cars and the sound of people, and I'm just paying attention to every footstep, walking has been one of the ways that I help integrate because it creates space in the day for me to process. Um, Journaling, as you mentioned, is really important because journaling is a way that not only allows me to put the ideas down, you know, pen to pad or on the computer, but as I reread some of those notes, it keeps that medicine alive inside me. You know, it's a way to reinvigorate and uh, reattune myself to that frequency that I experience in the, in the altered state of consciousness. And, you know, lastly, as you said, you know, like if I create, um, if I create ceremony around a certain practice, like the daily practice of yoga, and we got this awesome Tibetan singing bowl, Aubrey got it for me as a gift for Wolf, you know, at the beginning of yoga class, we'll, we'll play that thing. And that just tunes us in. It's like a, um, you know, it's like the, the, the dinner call, ding, 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 the old triangle that they do on the farm and all the kids come running and like, Oh, you start salivating like Pavlov's dogs because you, you know, it's time to eat. Well, the singing bowl for us is time to settle the mind, to open the body, to open up internally, to practice mindfulness in my breathing through, what Jen Prue calls uh, sensation, right? It's not pain, but sensation. If I look at it that without a negative connotation and I start to bring my awareness into the sensation of a particular pose and I breathe my awareness into that sensation, oftentimes it's shining the light on that thing that allows it to open up and expand. 
Mm. Right. So having that context allows me to open my physiology that way. And the same can be practiced with anything that's going on. Anytime I feel off kilter, anytime the magic of the medicine is starting to wear off in the, you know, the, the, uh, effectiveness of the modern world that we're living in starts to seep in. If I can give myself space to get clear on that sensation I'm experiencing, whether it's a low level of anxiety or a little bit of fear or worry about something, or maybe I feel the sensation of rushing energy because there's a timeline that I have to have approaching that I haven't uh, done my due diligence and getting done ahead of time. Rushing is, is definitely a feeling we all experience. So Mm -hmm. If I start to get aware and still, I can sense that. And then if I shine the light on that sensation and breathe into it, often it's illuminated what's to do next. You know, that path is shown going forward. And I think it's it's really just having those little breaks. And, and one of the concepts that Amit Goswani talks about in quantum spirituality that I think is so pertinent is we're, as a society, in a constant state of doing. Do, 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 do. And what he's calling for is like a song, do, be, do, be, do. So if you trickle in the being, the stillness, the reflectiveness, the quiet center in between the doing as often as we can, and it doesn't mean an hour, you know, in a dark room, it can be, and that's awesome, but it doesn't have to be. It could be five minutes of pranayama. It could be, you know, uh, a three minute ice bath, any little break where I turn my mind off, and I effectively get better at doing that. And, you know, you talked about the science of meditation from Harvard. There's an excellent book called The Science of Mindfulness by Dr. Ronald Siegel, who is a Harvard professor. And he dives into all aspects of it, from the science to the spiritual. And, um, you know, you think of that. It is – it's like a muscle we can train to get stronger. Mm-hmm. You know, the ability to turn the switch off of the constant chatter in our brains. It's always looking to solve a problem and figure something out and do more. Even if we're sitting still or lying in bed at night, it's hard to shut this thing off upstairs. And if we get good at turning that switch off, what Amit says is we're, we're better at processing the thing we're trying to solve. You know, we're not just using the conscious mind. We're dipping into what he calls the superconscious. It's not unconscious, it's not subconscious, it's the superconscious. And if you think of, uh, you know, Rupert Sheldrake's work on uh, morphic resonance and these energy fields of the collective consciousness of humanity, the energy fields of the collective consciousness of Gaia, the energy fields of the collective consciousness of all of source, you can tap into that. But it doesn't happen by running your mouth inside your head. It happens through quieting everything and becoming still. And I think anytime I can practice that and trickle it in throughout the day, that allows me to remain and integrate whatever medicine I've gained from the master teachers. Beautifully said, brother. Uh, I want to, uh, first of all, acknowledge you. Uh, we're, we're knocking on the hour long mark and I know you have another commitment, so this won't be our last conversation. I'm so grateful for, I think the wisdom that you bring and your commitment, it's so clear that you're, you, you, you balance as a man, the exuberance, almost childlike exuberance of life and living. And you have such a huge heart, but you balance it with like just an earnest, uh, desire. And I think humility to be in the learning, you know, and I think that's rare, especially, uh, in our culture. I think so many people want to posit themselves as authorities and like, and you share humbly, uh, your, your, your wisdom, but without, at least in my experience of you, without the sort of egoic veneer, it's more like, hey, you know, guys, how amazing is this? You know, and like, you know, we're all works in progress. But I, I really admire the way that you uh, continue to progress and show up as a man and as a leader. And uh, just I'm grateful for you, man. I'm grateful for you in my life. I love you. And I, and I appreciate you. I love you too, brother. And I think to that note, I often look at, through the lenses. We wear many masks. You know, Ram Dass talks about that. But uh, the mask that I that I have no issue with 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 putting on and, and stating is the mask of the student. Yeah. You know, we we oftentimes finish our education in college, and people don't pick up a book, or it's only fiction, or you know, you just get tired of doing that because you did so much in school and it's like, oh, I'm done learning. I know everything I need to know. And it's never the case. There's so much to learn and there's so much to really gravitate towards. And, um, yeah, I just feel like, uh, I'll, I'll be a student my entire life and I'll be a student for many more lifetimes. And that's a beautiful thing. Well, and that brings up something I think may have shared on our, our first podcast together. But to me, you know, when we talk about the, 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 
the black belts or the masters that I've had the great grace of sitting with uh, on occasion, almost inevitably, all those people are super humble. You know, like they're not wearing, they're not, they don't dress, they don't purport themselves to be an authority. They're not like, hey, this is my eightfold method to being the master of. And it's like I sit in a lodge in the in the mall. I'm thinking of a gentleman named Jerry now, and I may have shared this with you, but I, you know, this Dine, beautiful Dine man, and you know, t-shirt. I mean, in lodge, of course, we're we're, we're without clothes, but you know, he's not purporting to be anything. Really, really wise road man. Uh, had had been work has been working with medicine and has profound profound knowledge, but is the most humble. Would never wear that, you know. And and his teaching is always through story, you know. And it's always it's always good morning relatives, you know. It's beautiful to be with you, and humble and quiet and and leading with parables and stories that you can find your answers in. But he's not purporting to be the answer giver, you know, the master. It's 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 that it's that I think curiosity that humility that student that student perspective that i think uh at least i really resonate with so i'm i'm uh, i'm so grateful that uh, you you identify as a student i also identify as a student um i speaking of students um for those listening i highly 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 recommend you check out kyle's show it's uh it's one of my favorite podcasts I've had the good fortune of being on it uh, now a couple times. Uh, but Kyle, it's a Kyle Kingsbury podcast. Where can people find you uh, and follow up and, and learn all, all that you're up to? Well, we, I got off Instagram because of uh, the Lion Tracker's Guide to Life and then through quarantine got back on it. So I have a joint account with my wife. It's at Living with the Kingsburys. And we answer any and all questions there, you know, for all the, the issues with social media, it certainly seems to be the easiest way to communicate with people. So, you know, uh, DM us there, write us in the comment section. We always answer. And, um, you know, my website, kingsboo.com doesn't have a whole lot right now. It's just a minimum viable product, but, um, expect some cool stuff coming out there in the near future. Beautiful, my man. Well, thank you for this time. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your wisdom, your insights and, uh, grateful for you, my man. Yeah, I love you, brother. We'll do it again soon. Sounds good, brother. Bye now. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Kyle. I absolutely love the conversation. It will not be our last of this, I'm quite confident. And if you did enjoy it, please go ahead and leave a rating and review over at iTunes. It helps us to move up the rankings and grow this community, as well as to get really amazing guests. And we are knocking on the door of our 100th episode And my vision and commitment is to bring you more and more incredible guests to the show as we uh, approach and uh, deliver on the next 100 episodes. So I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. If you get 20 seconds, please go ahead and leave a rating and review. Check out One Farm. Check out Blue Blocks. And please go out there and live your inspired life.